Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with two players. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, if you don't get the breaks of the ball, Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to season four of the By the Minute Aberdeen podcasts. Now joining me tonight is Mr. Martin Cleaners. Martin, welcome back. Great to be back in the saddle again. And uh, if you listen very closely, you'll hear the other guests. Yes, that's right. It is just the two of us kicking off uh, this season. Uh, everybody else has turned us down or is simply not responding to our emails and direct messages. But we're used to being unpopular. This is nothing new for us. We'll plough on, so just us two. <laughs> got a lot to talk about. We've got a whole summer's worth of activity to talk about, as well as, obviously, the big games coming up against Burnley. And joining us later on in the show to talk about those Burnley games is uh, Natalie from Burnley podcast, No, Nay, Never. Uh, but first, to the incident which overshadowed the first half of the summer, for those of us with a dawn spent, is the sad passing of uh, Neil Cooper. Uh, Neil, obviously a member of that legendary Gothenburg side, and um, a man who crammed so much into what was, um, I guess, a relatively short spell at Pataudry, but one who came up through the uh, youth ranks was a ball boy, then you know broke through as a 16-year-old uh, into the side at uh, 1980, played at Anfield as a 16-year-old in the European Cup. So many highlights, so many memorable points at such a young age, uh, Martin, but it, it just seemed to comp- it didn't affect him as a, as a man, as a human being, and I think that's what's really come across in all the words which are said about him in the uh, immediate aftermath. Yeah, I mean... He came. He seemed to come across as just he was uh, uh, sort of one of the guys. Um, yeah, it was just it's desperately sad, and it kind of put a, it put a, put a dampener on the end of the season. Uh, something like that happening, just as tragic. And the memorial service that happened at Pitodry, Richard, um, was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to make it along. I watched it on the on the red TV coverage, and it was um, a really emotional evening um, for all concerned. Yeah, I think um, we're very very quick to. Um snipe at the club when when things go wrong but uh, the handling of that episode and that evening was uh, it was tremendously done obviously the poignancy was was added to the fact that you had pretty much all the Gothenburg team with the exception of Jim Layton who unfortunately was um, was out of the country at the time but uh, even guys who the Red Army is maybe have had a checkered recent past with uh, guys like Mark McGee and, and Gordon Strachan were there and and absolutely credit to them and I hope that their appearance that night might go some way to thawing some people's um, image of them that they may now have but the warmth that was evident from his teammates for Neil the warmth from anyone that, that met him that spent time in his company I think as well Martin 
Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's you no know, he's he's a well he's a well documented sort of face about town, and you know everybody has a story of you no know, they've been in a pub, they bought him a pint, they've watched a game of football with him. He's told them a story. One of the things that I think his reputation as just being one of the guys comes from is the fact is that you're able to talk to him. You know, he was he wasn't kind of unapproachable or surly, where some of the some of the Gothenburg team can be a little bit unapproachable, and you feel you no know, uh, uh, not too. Not too confident about going up to him. Neil was kind of different. You could go up and say hello, and he'd talk to you, and he'd tell you about getting chucked in as a sixteen-year-old, or he'd talk about that goal. It was made it made everybody feel a bit warmer. That's what kind of makes it even more tragic as well. That you know that he was he was clearly such a lovely guy, um, and I just want I just want to wait you say there as well about the kind of all the the ex, the ex you know, ex players being there at the night. I mean, you know, you would fully expect as many of his former teammates to be there but I still think it was it was a very it was a touch of classic it goes to show that you know some things are bigger than football um and more importantly you know like you say Strachan and McGee it's like they were I think they were they were Neil Cooper's friends rather than just um rather than teammates as well and I think it would be you no know, there was absolutely no question that they were going to be there and um credit credit to them and credit to the club in the immediate aftermath of his um Passing, I, I kept coming back to. There was an interview he did after his uh, heart attack, uh, which he'd been hospitalised for a year previously. An interview with Michael Grant, which was a very funny interview in typical Neil Cooper fashion. And within that, he talks about the moment he had the heart attack and was taken to hospital. And he, he talked about, you know, oh no, I I can't be the first one to go, or the first of the Gothenburg team to go. Well, well, tragically he was, and um, obviously Neil Cooper. We, um, you know, we're very, very sad to to see you go. It uh, it's left a hole in all our hearts, I think, here in the northeast. But uh, to more prosaic matters, and and obviously, you know, I think it it would seem a little bit uh, remiss to start uh, mewling and bawling about lack of transfer activity when you've when you've just spoken about a topic such as. Uh, Neil Cooper's untimely passing. But that, I'm afraid, is what we must do. So, um, Martin, would you like to uh, whine about the lack of activity? But I guess when you look at it on paper, especially after today, maybe if we'd recorded this last night, maybe you might have had a different opinion. But um, there's 20 players in that first-team squad now. There are areas of the pitch we definitely need to improve upon, and we'll come to that maybe in a few minutes when we talk about some of the departures. It's not as drastic as it, as it might seem. First 11-wise, I think we've got a strong first 11. Uh, I think that's right, yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, last Friday afternoon, um, I was I was you know, quietly furious um, about the lack of the lack of activity because, and that that comes mainly from the fact that I've not, I'd not seen uh, Forrester, Gleeson and Ferguson play. Um, having seen them in what was... I'm well aware a bounce game against West Brom, and you can't really take anything from that. A um, little more confident because they seem no, there seems to be there's actual footballers there. Uh, didn't see much of Gleeson. He came only came on for about 15 minutes at the end, I think it was. But there were some nice touches there. Um, he can clearly pick out a pass. A um, little bit more confident in that. And then today, obviously, uh, the defender comes in who can play at fullback, which obviously we're going to need one of them for the first couple of games of the season. Um, there is then, you know, so that and Tommy. Tommy Hoban, we do know. Tommy Hoban, that's the one. Tommy Hoban, he comes in. You no, know, it gives a reason to be a little more confident as well. You know, um, there's obviously talk of uh, Mark Reynolds has had surgery today, um, so that's a, that's a central defender who's going to be missing for 
some time if the rumours are be, to, be, to be believed. Um, so we need another. You needed another body in there. So it was kind of that's a little bit more. Um, Thomas Cherney is your kind of. I think you said you said earlier on in the Twitter feed today. You know, it's it's your Neil Alexander role. He's coming in. knows fine. He's going to be back up. Um, if if Joel Lewis is fit, uh, Thomas Cherney isn't going to play a single game. Um, I, that that would include the cups as well. So. Um, a decent safe pair of hands I think you brought in there uh, The squad looks a little more rounded now There's no, no, I think Craddock got injured as well So we wouldn't have had really You're looking at no, we were short on options at goal as well If um, if we hadn't brought Cherney in today But this, this first 11 looks good the, the, no, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a decent squad there But there are still some, you know Some gaps that need filled um, You know, we can come to the, you know, the lack of a striker I think we'll definitely be discussing that later yeah, when, it, when when we talk about guys signing contracts, am I right to be most disappointed this this summer about the fact that there's been no announcement or no movement on Graham Shinney and even to a lesser extent Gary McIsaac Stephen, who are out of contract in twelve months' time? Yeah, um, that's something that I, I'm, I, I think you know, maybe it's my mind playing tricks with me, but I'm sure there was something came out that saying that once the once the football's back underway, the club are going to open talks with Shinny. Um, I may have I maybe imagined that, um, but if I, even if I have if I have imagined that, I'd like to think that that's sort of once the windows closed, that's the first point of business that'll be getting done. That um, the captain needs to get be signed on a, a longer contract, a new contract even. Um, Mackay Stephen as well. Mackay Stephen is an important player for us. Uh, can't have January roll around and these guys possibly will be looking at their op- options, possible offers from. Whoever in whoever in the English pyramid of football, uh, so it's it's it is important. Um, I hate using the phrase, but you know, in terms of if you want to lift the squad, you know, the, you're getting the captain signed on a longer contract is something that would lift the the lift some of the gloom, uh, despite the fact that you know bodies are bodies are needed, but not just bodies to round out the squad. You need quality bodies in as well. It isn't just a say, isn't just to kind of get anybody in to fill a space like perhaps we've seen in. Windows maybe two, three years ago. It would be not just a lift to to those at Patojo, it would be a lift to the whole support, I, I would have said, mm-hmm. to, to get him on board. And I think there's a, there's a point to be made as well about not only leaders in the dressing room, because I think you've lost that in Adam Rooney and you lost that last year with Johnny Hayes, but you also lose players that had a real connection with the support in Rooney and in Hayes, and I guess McGinn went as well before coming back. And Graham Shinney is one of those guys who who is inspiring young kids. Graham Shinney is the type of guy who who they have on the back of their shirts, and those are the type of players that we need around the club. And we went for a good fifteen twenty years without probably having that. Absolutely. I mean, coming away from the coming away from the game on Friday, you know, there was um, we're walking up the road, and there was a couple of couple of kids in front of us that had uh, on the back of their shirts Christie and Arneson. So you know, you're looking at th- things like that. You know, kids are going to kids look at players at the club, and they want you know they want to be able to look at their heroes. And there is a thing where I think you want your heroes to know your heroes aren't going to be you know disappearing out the door in six months, maybe for an o- when an offer comes in from whoever from the championship or league one. Um, and it does so it does it gives the, it gives the, the fans a lift as well. Um, you're totally right to say about the per- like personalities in the dressing room as well. Um, Rooney will be Rooney will be a big loss for that as well, you know, because um, it leaves sort of Mister Banter, Shea Logan left. Um, obviously, Graham Shinney. Um, these new guys that are coming in, you know, we don't know anything about them in terms of their personality. They might come in and be, you know, 
in terms of personality and drive and leadership, they might be the second coming of Barry Robson or something. We don't know. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Well, yes, where are the uh, first team squad and um, others going to get their Herbalife products from now that Adam Winner <laughs> has moved on to Salford of the National League, the former conference? And um, maybe he won't have to sell Herbalife anymore because he has apparently gone down there for... Um, well, the numbers have obviously been disputed. Um, some people have said as much as £6,000 a week. Salford have actually come out and flatly denied that, but then again, they would. Certainly, I think what's happened in the barest of terms is you've got a guy who was no longer a guaranteed first pick, far from it towards the second half of last season, let's be honest. And I think we've seen before, if McInnes loses trust in you, he loses trust in you. And it was an opportunity for him to go and be the main man somewhere else on presumably a bigger salary. So from that point of view, from Adam Rooney's point of view, absolutely it's a no-brainer. But also it reinforces how difficult it is to keep players around if they're going to be just a backup. We had the same issue with Peter Pollock 12 months ago. Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that Rooney scored all those goals for us, he's clearly been told, no, you're not, you're not first choice, you're possibly not even second choice. Uh, which you know is the guys, the guys got prof- some professional pride. You know, as much as there's been some, you know, about a bit of crap thrown his way for you no know, taking it, taking money and moving down to the lower level of football and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's got some professional pride, and he could have quite easily sat here um, on the bench, not playing. Um, you know, coming on some of the games he came on last season, he came on for two or three minutes. Which, you know, I'm a huge, I was a, well, I am a huge fan of Adam Rooney. Um, you know, seeing him coming on and game, coming on like that, you know, um, was was so frustrating. Knowing fine that what he's capable of because he's a goal scorer. Um, so it, it's really disappointing that we've lost him. Um, I can't I can't really blame him. I mean, you know, Salford are obviously got a lot of money. They can throw it about, um, and they have done. Though they're they're not a very popular club among clubs in and around them um, because of the money they have. Um, that's something they just have to deal with. Um, Bruni's probably got. There's, I mean, he said himself in a statement that you know there's an opportunity to try maybe a new challenge there. You know, Salford will have sold him and said, look, this is where we were, we're going. This is where we want to be. Come down here. You no, know, be the main man. Lead the line. We know what you're capable of. Um, you know, it gets promotion into the in the proper football league, whatever you want to call it, um, and then see where we can take the club from there. And you know. He's obviously he's obviously been been he's had his head turned by that challenge and fancied it. Um, the club obviously mentioned that the offer was there has been there for a couple of weeks and it was about it was probably going to be withdrawn. So that's why he's gone before the Burnley game, which you know is disappointing. But I can't really hold any grudges against Rooney for for taking the offer. So we're now in a scenario where we have the English transfer market actually closing early this window. It closes on the 9th of August, or round about there, whereas the Scottish window and the other leagues in Europe close at the end of August, as they have done traditionally. So that actually gives us an opportunity to maybe pick up some bargains in what has been a very frequent marketplace for us down south. What's your opinion, Martin? Is it vital that we get players in quickly, you know, the two or three more heads that we'll probably have this window? Or would you rather see us hold our fire and... um, Try and be smart by picking up uh, somebody towards the end of that window when you know things have shut down in England. I mean, ideally, um, ideally, I'd like to get some people in sooner rather than later. But the problem is that you know, 
clubs are still in the midst of their their preseason. Um, you know, us and Burnley are the only only ones that are really sort of preparing ourselves for some competitive football. Uh, so there are a lot of English clubs that will be looking at their squads. Um, you know, they're only just dishing out the numbers to their squads. They're not really sure where they're going to be going. Though there's still a lot of business to be done for those teams. Um, you know, whether that be us looking at loans from you know Championship or Premiership teams. Um, so it's 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 you know six and a half a dozen at times. You look at you know you want to get bodies in quickly, but you want them to be the right the right people. Uh, so I can understand why McInnes is maybe holding on and waiting for the right names to come up. Um, I mean, I, it's not been mentioned by anyone at the club. It's been mentioned pr- pretty much only by the support, but the name Louis Moult doesn't seem to be going away. Um, no, I think he only got his squad number from, from Preston yesterday, so we don't know what's going to be happening there. Um, perhaps once they've had a pre- few pre-season games under their belt, maybe... Something will come a bit clearer, bit clearer with them if he's going to be getting games or not, and then maybe that's the approach. But we don't really know. Um, I just, I'd, I'd prefer to, I'd prefer to get the right names rather than just to bring in someone for the sake of it. Uh, you look at guys, as I mentioned earlier, you look at people we've brought in in the past, um, perhaps like a, a Josh Parker or you know, Nicky Maynard, who really contributed very little to the club. Um, sometimes you would say they contributed absolutely nothing. Uh, so I would rather get the right people in rather than just get someone in because you know they fill a shirt. But the fact is, you know, we we head into a start of a season which obviously the, the Europa games, big games against Burnley. Now you might say, especially with the way that the draw has panned out with us, uh, with the third round pairing us with uh, Besiktas of uh, Istanbul, that um, our chances of actually making the group stages are, are pretty minimal, regardless of who we sign. But big games at the start of the season in Europe, then we've got a potentially pivotal opening day fixture uh, in the league. So, um, surely there was more of an onus to move quicker this window, no? You can sense a frustration in McInnes because there's obviously been targets that he's missed out on this window. There's obviously been... Um, the likes of Dylan McGeer and Naismith, who went from Ross County to uh, to Peterborough, and he wasn't happy to lose Adam Rooney. I mean, that, that was a move which was clearly ad- agitated is maybe the wrong word, but a move which the the player was keener to seek than the club. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you saw the the McInnes is clearly frustrated. I mean, you saw even you know, despite the fact that he joked about it on the with the interview that was on the. The website the other day about the when they were talking about the the drone thing they're starting to use, he made a crack at the end about it saying, "Oh, um, there's no players left. There's no players for it to crash into." So he's either aware of the fact that the fans are, are unhappy about the lack of signings, or he's aware that his squad is a bit thin. Now uh, it's probably it is probably both. So I mean, he clearly can see that that though there's a frustration that he's trying to get guys in and he, he can't get the right the right names that he wants. Um, there's McGeek would have been would have been a good signing. I think we've spoken about him before, and he's he is a good player. He's gone, you know, he's gone down to England. Nothing, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. We just we 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 can't compete with the kind of money that they'll be offered down there. Um, so it's it's it, it must be frustrating for the manager because he's seeing these guys who he has identified as targets, uh, and it's just it's a it's a flat out no. So you no, know, I would I'd love to see the list of you no know, this want list. 
um, just to see how many players have probably been scored off it. Because I would imagine it's a lot bigger than just McGeek and Naismith. Um, I'm sure there's been approaches for other players that we haven't heard about that have just been you know, flat out refused, which is where the kind of annoyance comes out. Topic we've talked about frequently on this show over the past years has been about having that youth pathway. At this point in time, it's forced a little bit onto him, isn't it? Because of those, if I talk about 20 in a first-team squad, they include Frank Ross, they include Dean Campbell, they include Scott Wright. So they're going to be in and about this season. And in a way, a couple of them have to be. Scott, big year for Scott Wright in particular. It is, yeah, Scott Wright. I mean, there's no part of Thistle for him to play against this season, so um, he's got a lot to prove. He can uh, score against Thomas Cherney in training, so... Yeah, well, that's that's maybe what's going to keep his keep his head up. Um, no, it's a it's a massive year for him because he no he he kind of burst onto the scene and everybody has got behind him and supported him and then he did really it just didn't happen for him at all last season. He barely saw any game time at all, um, and that that must come from the fact that whatever the manager sees from him in training, he doesn't like, which you know isn't isn't a good sign. Um, I'd like to. I mean, he's clearly again. We've got another guy who's clearly a talented player. There's clearly ability there. No, dare I go back to the conversations we were having on this this show eighteen months, two years ago about Kami Smith? No, don't want to see Scott Wright go the go the way of Kami Smith, where you know where we are talking about what might have been. Uh, I'd like to know. There, this guy has clearly got a lot of talent, a lot of ability, um, and would no. He just he kind of needs to he kind of needs to show it a bit more. Uh, Frank Ross is obviously back. Um, you no, know, he, he he seemed to do. He was decent from what I saw. You know, the little clips and what I read. He was decent when he went on loan to Morton. Um, so hopefully, you know, he's come. He comes back. You know, full of confidence, ready to try and force his way into the force his way into at least you know a position in the team. Um, whether that will be you know off the bench or whatever, you know, you don't know. Um, and then you've got guys like Bruce Anderson, Dean Campbell, who are you know who are young players but um, kind of standouts. Standouts in the kind of in the in the youth team, um, and you know, Dean Campbell's impressed whenever we've seen him. So you know, it is a squad, but you know, you, these, you know, you're, you know, it's not a case of how young you are; it's a case of how good you are. And though know, they appear to be on the face of it, they appear to be very good young players. They're going to be needed at this point in time over the yeah. course of the season. There's no question about that, and I, I think it would be probably for the greater good um, if the likes of Ross and if the likes of Campbell are given some game time to see whether whether they can make it. Um, I think obviously we, we've got a guy who, who's now been valued at £10 million in the heart of defence and um, he at this point last season had uh, a grand total of I think two starts for the Dons. So who knows what, who will be uh, the, the next young star by this time, by this time next year. So Europa League, strange year in our history where it, it's we've qualified for Europe now um, four, five, five years running, and um, yep. this is uh, only the second time we've had a we've had a run that long in our history. But equally, they tend to be done by the first week of August, and um, this year might not be any different, Martin, because the draw hasn't been particularly kind. Before I talk about it with you, uh, I was fortunate enough to be joined by Natalie Bromley as we said earlier, of Burnley podcast No Nay Never, and Natalie gave us the Burnley view of the upcoming games. So, Natalie, thank you very much for your time tonight. Um, I just feel that 
Burnley, unlike some other English sides in the past couple of seasons, maybe West Ham and Everton spring to mind, this Europa League campaign seems like quite a big deal for you. I don't think there's much chance of you taking this uh, this tie lightly, is there? Oh, definitely not. It's something that we're in, incredibly excited about. Um, it's been over 50 years since Burnley were last in the Europa League. Well, it was a European Cup back then. Um, I believe that season we got all the way through to the final and then have not even qualified since. So we obviously just decided to give it a miss. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm going up to the game with my dad and my dad's been watching Burnley since he was nine years of age and he's never seen um, Burnley play away in Europe. And it's it's just... It's a massive, massive deal for us. It's something that everybody's incredibly excited about and feels like a very nice reward for a very, very hard work season last year. Yeah, I think probably when the draw was made, it was one that probably underwhelmed both sets of fans. But um, how are you viewing the tie now? Because certainly from our point of view, it's a game which is easy to get to, the away leg that is. There'll be a decent amount of supporters there. Yeah. So it's got a feel of a, of a decent clash about it. Yeah, I mean, I had a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek laugh when uh, the draw was first made and I sort of tweeted out there, I was like, oh my God, I've waited my entire lifetime to see Burnley away in Europe and I'm not even leaving my own island. (laughs) Um, So I had some very clear um, rules that I wanted to get a passport, get on a plane and go and watch some Burnley play somewhere in in a a, a European away stand. So I was a little bit, I wouldn't say underwhelmed, but I was a bit, ah... I would love to have, you know, gone somewhere like Spain or, you know, somewhere like, well, not say exotic because that sounds unfair to you, but, you know, oh, no, somewhere no, it's, it's you know, off the island for sure. Um, so when, but then that said, now I've had a chance to digest it. I'm actually really excited about the draw. And I think for the reasons you've just set out, it's a really, really perfect fixture for both of us. Um, I guess the main thing for us is that this is something that we're just not used to at all. We're not used to being in a competitive game so early in the season. We are only a couple of weeks into our pre-season plans. It's a very well-known fact. It's not something we hide from that we've got an incredibly small squad. Um, So actually, to have this game... Um, and uh, to be able to take this squad just up the road. Um, there's no long travel, there's no um, time zone differences, there's no jet lag, there's no danger of a really tiring campaign. We can just go up the road, settle down, and I, I actually feel like it's a really nice, warm welcome to the Europa League, and um, in some respects, it's the perfect draw. Now, is the position of being overwhelming favourite in this tie one you think Burnley are going to be comfortable with? Because the sense is that domestically, no. <laughs> being the scrappy underdog really suits you and really suits the way Sean Dyche has you Definitely. set up. Yeah, Sean Dyche absolutely hates Burnley being in the limelight and as much as he's embracing it now he will have been secretly panicking like mad when we were suddenly in the Champions League spots last season and then it looked like we were going to finish seventh you could almost see him like oh no um Sean Dash is very good at, at playing us down he's very quick to remind the media that we aren't the finished article and we're in our infancy and that we're going to be relegation favourites next year he likes to keep these players under the radar he likes to keep the club under the radar and I think he's quite savvy when it comes comes to the media is dash he knows how quickly the press atmosphere can turn on you and he knows how quickly the narrative is um, is one of, of negative so uh, he he knows full well that next season if we finished 10th 13th for example which is an absolutely incredible achievement in the premier league the press will be oh they've had a bad season 
it's like, well, no, we haven't because, you know, last year was an anomaly, much as Leicester winning the league was. Last season was a combination of us having a fantastic season and getting everything right. And in all fairness, some bigger teams, the likes of your West Ham's, Everton's, um, Leicester's, having a relatively poor season by their standards. And we just took advantage of that and got that seventh spot. But we are so so far ahead of where we planned to be. And this jump has been one that we're perhaps not ready for on and off the pitch. So whilst we'll embrace it and we'll enjoy it and we'll give it back to the fans for a reward for last season, it is still very much business as usual in that absolute priority is the Premier League and safety first. And we'll, you know, if we get knocked out of the Europa League and we don't get that back there from the 10 years, then so be it. Something else that the two teams have got in common is uh, a bit of a fury about how the tickets were distributed. Certainly from our mm. end, um, there was a bit of a backlash towards the club as to how they were distributed. And it was the same with the tickets for Petardry for Burnley fans, wasn't it? Uh, well, it, it was not it wasn't. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, we only got just over 2,000 um, tickets. And that's, that's how much it got. So how, in some respects, how is the club going to allocate that in a fair manner? So our, our side for the away tickets at, at your end, we looked at using the um, loyalty scheme. Now, the loyalty scheme has been in place for a good few seasons and it gets abused constantly. There are always people who have not been to a game all season and they want to go to Old Trafford away and they borrow the mate season ticket, get a ticket straight away and there on then it's the only game they go to all season. Um, whereas you've got fans that might end up being the only game they miss because they couldn't get a ticket because they were having to queue in the ticket office or they were missed out online. Um, so what the club did with this one, they put very strict rules in place given the popularity of this away leg. They started the first, they did a daily step so um, that the highest ranking points came first the day after so, uh, a thousand points lower. So it went 8,000, 6,000, you, know, you, you know how I mean. Um, so it just guaranteed that those fans with 8,000 and 7,000 points, the, the fans who've gone all over the place, were guaranteed to get a ticket. And then they put very strict rules in place that if you got caught transferring that, so you have your ID card with your ticket, if you get caught transferring that, then you both get a stadium ban. So it might look really draconian on the face of it that it's quite a harsh and, you know, it's, it's, it's almost killing the, the excitement about the game. But how else is the club going to get, make sure that the loyal fans who have done the Bournemouths away and the Macclesfields at home and if they've built up those points that they get the opportunity to see Burnley away in Europe for the first time ever. And you know what? You never know in a cup tie you could win and this could be the only leg we play this season. So, I'm, I'm, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I was relatively happy with the way that certainly the away leg was dealt with for Burnley fans. Now, finally, on to the important stuff, Natalie. Um, where are the best places in town for the visiting support to congregate in Burnley next week? Uh, right. I haven't done um, a massive amount of homework on the home leg yet, so apologies in advance <laughs> to all the Aberdeen fans listening to this. I've clearly come on the podcast very, very unprepared. Um, on a normal day, um, there are there are designated away pubs which are miles out of town and and sort of away from the town centre. Um, but during sort of the regular season, the cricket field end, which is where you'll all be sat, has um, a cricket field bar behind it, and it has um, a great stand and a great bar in there that usually has home and away fans that mix very very well, um, and it's all very friendly. That said, I don't know whether the rules in any way are going to change um, for the Europa League. Like, so what I would suggest you do is just keep an eye on the website because there will be 
um, plenty of um, updates on there. Um, but I would say, um, if you want to get close to the ground, the cricket field stand behind the stand you're sitting in is a great place to socialise. Um, if not, they may assign you a, a pub outside of town. But, but either way, you know what? You, you guys are going to come down to Turf Moor next weekend to a ground that's absolutely ecstatic. It's riding high. We've got, we're, we're watching football that most of us never thought we'd ever see. Um, you're going to be surrounded by a group of fans who are completely got their heads in the clouds, but also the feet on the ground at the same time. So everyone's going to be happy. Uh, welcoming, it's going to be friendly and it should be a really great atmosphere so it's one I'm really looking forward to Natalie, thank you so much again for joining us tonight and uh, enjoy no, your trip up here, uh, maybe not too much between the hours of 7.45 uh, onwards uh, but, Good luck uh, everyone Thank you well, that was Natalie being very diplomatic about uh, about the upcoming tie, but yeah, they're going to they're gonna win, aren't they? Never. <laughs> no, chance at, no chance at all. You've got to be confident this early in the season, Richard. I mean, no, we've all seen, well, I think we've all seen plenty of English football. No, I've not seen as much of Burnley as, you know, perhaps I've seen of the bigger, the bigger teams, in quotation marks, um, in England. But, you know, when I have seen them, you know, they've not really been one of these impressive teams that are going to scythe through you and you know, break break you down. I mean, dare I say it, that they are no better than Groningen were. I just feel that, and I, you'll have heard that I raised that point with Natalie, that past English teams in this competition have treated it with a certain disdain. I, I don't feel that that's, I don't get that impression from Burnley whatsoever. Oh no, there's absolutely no chance. I mean, you know, it's not like no. I think it was was it West Ham a couple of seasons ago treated it like a total joke, and they got bu- they got bumped out straight away. Um, no, Burnley haven't been. Was it 50, 51 years? Is it? Um, they aren't. They aren't going to be taking this lightly. They're going to be very serious, and you know, they're going to want to get through. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of the fans on social media already are sort of very excited about the the idea of a trip to Turkey. Um, well, they can be excited about it. Um, they've still got to get past us first. Um, and you know we're not we're not going to be a walkover for them. I'm I'm supremely confident about that. It was a draw that certainly um, I think people were a little bit disappointed when it was made. I think it's fair to say yeah. Um, yeah. that it wasn't a, a a little bit easier, uh, but b uh, it's well overseas for a start. But I think as as time has gone on, it people have got a bit more excited about this tie because it, it has the feel of a, of a bigger game than it might have been otherwise yeah that's I mean that's fair it's I mean it's not no it's not the ex, no the exciting exotic trip to some somewhere that's really warm you know it's like it's not like you know Rijeka where you go when all the the lads went over there it was you know beautiful sunshine it was roasting hot weather and you, know, you can sit outside and you know, party up and have a few beers um, Burnley you no know, a little less glamorous but it has that the edge is that you know they're an English team um, you know, there's that. No, I know we've not really built it up that way, but there is that whole kind of battle of Britain thing. They will want to turn us over um, because of our our so-called tin pot league, and do, we will want to turn them over. And every Scottish football fan will want to see us turn them over just to get one up on the on the English team. Um, so th- there's an edge there, and it's it's what's made it quite exciting, despite the fact that you know, they, you know, some people have said, "Oh, it's only Burnley." And I think the other the other positive is that this is a hell expensive time of the year to try and get flights and uh, accommodation yeah. booked across Europe at short notice. So Burnley at least offers the opportunity for a decent number of fans to travel and for it to be cheap for them to do so. Obviously, however, 
there were gripes about how the ticket allocation was done, there were always going to be gripes about how the ticket allocation was done, wasn't there? Whatever system was used. But how do you think the club have handled this? Um, I mean, it could have been better. Um, the, the thing is, I mean, they got it they they got it drastically wrong last season with the whole Apple and Limassol carry on, where I think pretty much anybody was able to buy tickets, and there was, and no, understandably, people who go home in away games every week and are season ticket holders, you know, and don't miss a game, didn't weren't able to get tickets, and and that isn't fair. Um, a simple fact, no, for me, the simple fact is if you go to games. The more games you go to, the better the chance you should have of getting tickets. It's just as simple as that. Um, when it comes down to you know, you know, the problems that it's a case of, there was only, I think last season, they only were issuing one point for away games, which has then hurt people who go to away games from being able to get. So people have managed to jump up the queue. That's a problem. Um, the club will, the club will know, have never seemed to get it 100% right with this sort of thing. Um, which, Can you, you know, though? Well, that's the thing is you can't re- you can't really. I mean, no, because people will always get tickets. No, there are there are people who are going to be get, who have got tickets for the away leg that, that don't go. But who am I to say that no, this person doesn't deserve to get to the game? Um, you know, it's just the thing is that it should be people that go to games all the time. So if you if you haven't missed a game last season, you should have first refusal. Refusal. It's simple as that. Um, and you should you no. Know, and the points should be. Worked out in a way where that person should be getting to go. I mean, what is it? I think it's two thousand four hundred tickets we've got. This comes from the fact is that Burnley is very easy to get to. Um, you know, if it was if it was some you no know, somewhere like Kazakhstan or something like that, there wouldn't be this any of this problem. Um, it just it's unfortunate that this has came about at a time when we've spoken about, and I don't want to get in the whole DNA thing. Um, it's it's, a, it's boring talking about it, but at the time when this DNA thing's been brought in, we've drawn a team that is just you no, know, it's what five and a half hours, six hours down the road, um, easy to get to, you know, relatively cheap, you know, stay in Manchester, cheap hotels, all that kind of carry on, and it just seems to be that it's 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 caused a div- another another divide, um, but you no. Know, it's it's just because it, it's only because it's a very easy location to get to. I mean, it was only three or four seasons ago that you know we went to we had a, a, a trip to San Sebastian and the away end was only no two thirds full. Uh, so you know you can't people can't complain about not getting tickets when it's you know, it just because it's convenient to get to it suits them. If you want to go to games, you go to games. Usual kind of scenario. We we are used to this. We know that you know a draw and a nil nil tomorrow is potentially a very good result. That European experience might actually come into play. The fact that, you know, we are used to this scenario. We are used to playing two legs. We are used to playing this early in the season. There are things which, it might not seem like it, but there are, there are things which are in our favour. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we are vastly experienced at this type of thing now. Having the home draw first, I think, is, is in our benefit as well. Uh, I think that any sort of result where we're involving them not scoring... Is is that is exactly what we're looking for? You know, I would, if I'm being honest, that tomorrow I would take a nil nil. I would rip your rip your arm off right now for a nil nil, giving us a chance to go down there, um, and next weekend next week. Um, I think that just we have got we have got a, a decent chance here because you know I don't think Burnley is are Burnley are by any stretch of the imagination a, a top football inside. Um, in terms of you know having these you know, amazing talented players, you know, some of the money they have spent on players is outrageous for what they've got. Um, but that's their problem; that's not ours. Um, if we can if we can hold them to to nil uh, on Thursday, 
Now we've got a fantastic chance next week. I, I genuinely believe that. The bottom line is, it's great that the football is back after an unusually long uh, break for the Dons. Uh, we've gone from being a team that was always first back in action to, to the last in Scotland to actually be yeah. back uh, playing. So, so uh, it is just great to be to be having a game to go to tomorrow. Uh, so that has been our podcast today. Our thanks to Natalie of the Burnley podcast, No Nay Never, uh, for joining us. And uh, my thank you to Martin Clunas for making it back for season four. No problem at all, Richard. All right, we will be back with you next week. The informed and educated guests, well, they'll come later in the season. And we do promise you some more former player interviews too. Tonight, unfortunately, you've had to make do with just us two. Spouting our total nonsense, although it is nonsense born out of a long, long time of shelling out a hard-earned to follow this mostly deeply frustrating, but occasionally transcendental mob that is Aberdeen FC. Let's hope that Thursday night against Burnley is one of the more memorable nights. Until next week, come on you Reds.